Hi, Luann. Okay. Good to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Hardy. Nice to be here on your show. Appreciate it. <laughs> so uh, for everybody who doesn't know you, could you please tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Luanne Nigara. I live in New Jersey and I have for the last going on 37, 38 years run a business with my husband and our cousin. So my husband, Vince, and our cousin, Bill, it's called Window Works. We're a custom window treatment and awning retailer in Livingston, New Jersey. And three and a half years ago, I launched a podcast called A Well-Designed Business where I am working and teaching and helping interior designers to run profitable businesses. And I've also written two books in the last couple of years. So The Making of a Well-Designed Business, which is basically business 101 for any entrepreneur wishing to start a successful business and lay the right foundation for that business. And also A Well-Designed Business to Power Talk Friday Experts, which is a collaborative book where I've invited 12 experts to each share their expertise on a topic. Got it. So uh, could you please share with our listeners the story behind like how you got into entrepreneurship and business? Well, um, my husband and I, I met my husband when he, he's 15 years older than me. So when I met him, he was in his early thirties, mid thirties, and he had uh, two health clubs, which is where I met him. I worked at his health club and he had a full-time job as a probation officer. And he also had about a year after I met him, just started window works. And so I guess about a year and a half after I met him, I started to, I went to work at window works because I was in between jobs and it was supposed to hold me over until I found another job. And 38 years later, I'm still here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was exactly how I got into it with it. Got it. And did you start like any other business ventures during this time period? Because it's like a really long time period. So, uh, yeah. We, yeah, no, we just have really um, grown window works from a startup company in the basement of his home to a $3 million company. And mm. I would say, though, three and a half years ago, I started the podcast, which is also now a completely viable business business and has it, it's supporting itself and creating all types of uh, opportunities and revenue through the podcast as well. Got it. So uh, could you please share with our listeners, like what have been your worst moments and your best moments in business so far, looking back and reflecting on your life? So Okay, so um, I think one of the, the uh, absolutely the worst moment and the most challenging period of time was when we encountered the first recession that we mm. were to experience as business owners. We were completely unprepared for it. We were, um, and, and we almost lost our business because of it. We had to make significant changes in order not to lose the business. Mm. Um, but it was a huge learning lesson for us. And it was a lesson that fortunately with the two recessions that we've experienced since then, a total of three in our career, um, we handled each one better to the point that the one in 2008, 2009, we really sailed right through it and came out very strong, uh, in fact, through it. Yeah. And um, what have you learned, like, uh, going through those tough times? Because I think a lot of people that might be listening to this are also, like, going through a tough time right now. or They're starting their business and they're encountering, like, tons of problems and so on and so forth. So, uh, yeah, how, how were you personally dealing with this situation back then? So. Well, the thing about it is the biggest lesson in um, understanding 
when you're running a business is it's not all going to be easy. It just mm. isn't. And I think sometimes entrepreneurs are unprepared for the hard part and get surpri surprised by it and maybe develop some resentment to it and think, why is this happening to me? And the reality is, is that you have to be very proactive. You have to each day figure out what it is that's happening and how can you make a change in what's happening? What's in your power to to get through and to create a new way or a new system. And, um, so, and particularly with the recession, when it, when it hit us that first time, we just really didn't believe that it would affect us. We mm. naively really thought, oh, well, you know, banks and mortgages get affected by the recession, not us. But the, <laughs> the, re the recession can affect every single business. And, um, we had blinders on, but we didn't make that mistake again. So, so what, what were like the, the problems that you were encountering during this time period? Uh, well, you, you run into cash flow pro problems, mm. you run into, um, you know, less, less quantity of orders, um, all of those things. And what happens is now what we understand when we are, what we understand now is that we have to always run the business as a tight ship. It always, you always have to revisit expenses. You always have to revisit your profit goals and your sales goals, your revenue goals. You can't just assume things will happen. And for us, we were always visiting sales and revenue goals, but we weren't necessarily visiting always expense goals. And when we mm. saw the storm clouds rising, we didn't immediately batten down the hatches and cut the expenses. And so now when we see storm clouds rising, we literally line item by line item, we'll go through and say, do we need this expense? Do we need this expense? Let's, okay, we can reduce that one. We can cut that one. We have to, it's playing a chess game. It's like when, you know, God forbid, you know, you know, people throughout the world that are preparing for a hurricane. Mm. You don't just sit there. You know, you go and you buy the water and you put the boards on the windows or you evacuate. Mm. You know, you have to take ownership of mm. what could happen in your business and be a thinking, proactive business owner about how you can avoid the problems that might be coming. I, I, I mean, that was our the, biggest yeah. lesson. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you because I think that a lot of people that get into business, they are like really, really just waiting and pray that everything might be working out eventually and um, not taking action, not like you said, um, taking full ownership. So Right, right, exactly. So, uh, Loanne, yeah. could you also please speak to the best times that you've had in the last couple of years, um, building and growing a business? So <laughs> I have two favorite things about running a business this many years. The one favorite thing is all of the outstanding people that have been a part of our team and a part mm. of creating window works and the, and what it is. And, um, we've had so many really outstanding individuals over the years that we've come to know and have re remained friends of ours as they've gone on to other positions. Um, but right now window works, we're at a point where our team is, is very, um, 
it's it's a great team and it's a mature team. So we have one installer that's with us going on 25 years, another one 12. We have a sales rep that's going that's with us going on 10 years. We have our admin that's seven years. I mean, she's 27 years old. She's with us 20 years. We have another installer. He's 24. <laughs> he's with us four years. You know, and so um, that is that is a it is a very it's something that when you take the care and attention to hire the right people and train them well and empower them, it's a tremendous gift to watch them do what they do and watch them do it well and to help them and lead them and guide them and mentor them in that. So that's one really, really very special thing that I love about being an entrepreneur. And the other thing is, is our relationship to the community. So we are in the same town for all of these years. And I have, I have customers that I have done the window treatments for the grandmother, the mother, and the daughter. I have customers that... <laughs> that I have done the nurseries of children that now they have homes and I am doing the nurseries for their children and, um, to be at a restaurant, to be at the grocery store, to be at the gym and to run into somebody that I have known for 15, 20, 25, 30 years and to know them and their family and to have, to know that they rely on us when they enter the marketplace for window treatments or awnings. It's, it's a, it's really awesome. It's a terrific mm. thing to have that, um, feeling of, of gratitude for you, the client base that you've built. Yeah. I, I love how you are like valuing, uh, long-term relationships because I think that, um, if you are hiring somebody, you have to train them, you have to teach them your processes and so on and so forth. And um, it takes a lot of time. And if you are just working with them for a couple of months and then you're hiring somebody new, um, all this invested time is like wasted. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm also a big, big believer in long-term relationships. So I really yes. love it. So Yes. <laughs> so um, could you please share with our listeners like um, – what have been the lessons that you have learned on hiring other people? So what are you looking out for and uh, so on and so forth? So could you please speak to that? I definitely could. I would love to. As a matter of <laughs> fact, what I'm a big, big believer in is not only what we're going to talk about in the process of hiring wealth for your company, but in hiring the people who are experts in the things that you have to do in your business. So for instance, Eileen Hahn is an expert on how to hire an exceptional employee. And in my second book, um, a well-designed business, the power talk Friday experts, she actually has a chapter and it's called how to hire an exceptional employee. And what I love is no different than I would hire a CPA to do my tax preparation. I know that as entrepreneurs, who we hire is very, very important because of the money and the time that you invest in training and educating that employee. And so when you do it well, it pays off, but we all don't just pop out onto the business world and have this skill of knowing how to do it well. And so Eileen Hahn has been my uh, business coach and my mentor in this area for many, many years and is the reason why I invited her to write a chapter in the book. And she literally explains that there is 
just like you have a process for doing something in your business. Like Hardy, you have a process for putting this podcast out into the world. There is a process for hiring that is more likely to lead to success than just winging it and going by intuition and putting in any generic ad out on Indeed that you really want to describe for yourself and get very clear for yourself what the job description is. Then you describe for yourself as the business owner, the type of person that would be the perfect person and personality for that job. Then you craft your job description out for Indeed or wherever it might be that talks to just that person. And then you just the process of um, doing personality assessments and the multiple layers of the How interview process. How would they process. look like? Yeah. How would how would what? Um, how would the interview process look like? So uh, yeah, yeah. So for our, we just hired a person who's actually going to start a week from Monday as we're recording this. <laughs> and so yes, and so and so it's exactly that. We did all the steps that I just said, and then um, uh, we I as a consultant we hire Eileen to put them through the personality assessments and how does based- it, yeah. How, how does the personality assessment look like? So, for instance, for every position in your company, there are certain personality traits that will be that that per, if that person has, they are more likely to be successful. So, for instance, I'm a salesperson. That's my superpower. Okay. So I podcast, I write books, I lead my team, but my superpower is sales. And when you look at my personality assessment, it will show that to you. It will show you that I innately have the strengths and the characteristics that will lead to success in sales. But what my personality uh, assessment profile will not tell you is it will not tell you that um, it will not tell you that I am good at administrative. It will Mm. not tell you that I'm good at um, details. I am specifically not good at details. Okay. And so the thing (laughs) is, right. So when I'm hiring an administrator, I'm looking for someone whose assessment shows me that they are a person with high attention to detail. I don't necessarily need a person who has high persuasive qualities like mine. Okay. I need somebody that has, and has a high attention to detail. And when I get to the point where we're going to interview, if your personality assessment doesn't line up with the assessment that I need for that job description, I don't bother to interview you, Mm. you know, and I've learned all of this from Eileen. So she teaches this, this is what she does. And so by the time I have this narrowed down to the interview process, I'm looking at from a, from a group of 80 applicants, I'm now looking at and going to phone interview three that are expected to perform in that position well. And now I'm just looking for the culture fit. That's the last component. And then of those three, maybe all three will advance to in-person interviews first and second, and maybe none of them will. Yeah, so, I love it. So uh, because I think a lot of people are wasting time um, on on unqualified people who won't be a good fit for the job. So uh, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's yes. So and Eileen Hahn is expert at this. And I would tell you that if you need to do it yourself, at least read her chapter in my book, it will give you a greater understanding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm repeating what she's taught me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh let let let's talk about like scaling the business. So um like you've said you've scaled your business to to incredible numbers over the years. So um what are the things that you have learned along the way? So uh yeah, Luan, please speak to that. 
So the first thing is, is that you, the, the number one thing that you must do if you believe and intend and want to scale your business is you must enunciate your systems. You must have every single thing that you do in your business down to a finite way of doing it. Because what I always say to people is, is if you have not developed a duplicatable set of systems, of processes for everything in your business, then you have a you. You do not have a business. Because Mm -hmm. if I enter your world and the only way you can teach me how to do something is by you personally teaching me how to do it, then that's a you. You see, a business is something where you can open up a manual. A business is something where you can say, this is how I do this, right? I do it the same way every single time because this way is proven to be successful. And when I teach you to enter my business, I teach you the exact same way to do it. And when you have your business like that, then you can think about scaling. But if you don't have that set, if you have whatever the process is in your business, you know, um, if let's use the podcast because we're sitting here looking at each other, (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. If sometimes you turn on the computer and then sometimes you get your notes in front of you and other times you get your, put your Skype set up and other times, you know, if you do it every which way, every which time, if you were to hire somebody Hardy to work in your podcast, you'd be every, they'd be like, wait, we do what first we do what second it, it needs Mm. to be. And, and the thing is, if you think about it, I wrote one time an article for a fashion vision magazine it's an article it's a it's a magazine in our industry that i do a monthly column in mm. and what i one of the um times i wrote i said if you think about running your business like a franchise that's how you can mm. learn how to scale think about when you go into a burger king in arkansas or a burger king in new jersey that or in germany yeah <laughs> i mean <laughs> that you, it's the exact same process, the way you get in line, the way you order, the way they call it back to the kitchen, the way it's wrapped. They don't sometimes put the pickle on the bottom or sometimes on the top. <laughs> it's the exact same way. And that's why you can purchase a Burger King and with relatively small, small learning curve, be successful franchiser, right? Mm-hmm. Franchisee, I should say. And so when you want to scale, You must think about that because how can you have even two people working for you running and doing their part in your business if there is no process for doing it? Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Do you understand that? Yeah. 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 And it saves a lot of time, a lot of energy and um, yeah. Clarity. Clarity. Right. Clarity. Yeah, totally. So um, what are the problems that people might run into when they are scaling their business? Well, um, aside from the the obvious that so often people scale before they have figured out their process and systems, then the, the next problems that they run into is that if you're not, again, like we said before, with, you know, really projecting your revenues and projecting your growth and keeping an eye on the profit margins. So you have to understand that when you scale, a lot of the expenses are going to go up. Maybe you need more space, you know, retail space or studio space or whatever type of work that you do. Maybe you need more trucks, delivery trucks, maybe you, whatever, maybe you need more inventory, but you must 
plan for your profit. So you can't just say, hey, let's do $50 in sales this week or $50,000 in sales with this week. You must pay close attention because if you are going to scale your business and grow it, but you're not going to do two things, watch the bottom line and intend for the profit margin that's healthy for your industry. Now you're doing what I always call, it's just, you're just like money laundering. You're just making money and paying bills. <laughs> you know, nothing's staying in the middle, right? So it's it, in order to make money and pay your bills and have a profitable business, you need to know what the profit margins should be and are sustainable mm. for your product category. So uh, the first really, really important thing would be you have to know your numbers inside out. So uh, what, are, what are the other problems that people might run into? Okay, so if you you might know your numbers, but do you track them? Do you monitor mm. them? Right? So we look at our numbers every single Monday. Every single Monday. We have a conversation. Without, about exception. Without <laughs> exception. And the other thing is is that not only do we have a conversation about them every single Monday, but we track them. So and we track them by day and by month and by year. So I can go into a computer program now. And if you said to me, Luann, what were your gross sales in 1984 in October? I could pull that up and I would say, what were your gross sales for every October in the 38 years in business? And I can pull that up. And so the point is that we track them weekly to make sure that we're on our sales uh, top line revenue goals and our gross profit margin goals. But we also at the, at the, the, the fourth quarter of every year, we sit and we go through every single month for the previous two years. And we compare, what did we do in January this year in 2019? We'll say, what did we do in January in 2019? What did we do in 2018? What did we do in 2017? And then we set a goal for January of 2020 based on those numbers. And so the thing is, is that, you know, if you intend to scale, you need to have your data so that you can adequately project your revenue goals. And because it's with projecting your revenue goals that you know if you can hire, right? Can you afford mm. to hire? Well, what am I expecting to do this year? And and by the way, if I say I'm going to increase my sales by $250,000 and that will support this extra team member that I've hired, well, now you have to make sure every month you're on track to produce that $250,000. You just can't show up <laughs> a year and say it didn't happen. Now what? Right? Yeah. <laughs> so these are the things is, is not understanding that um, it is, it's, it's like a recipe, right? You, you know, you, especially baking recipes, you know, you can futz a little when you're cooking food and a little more garlic, a little more onion, a little less this, but baking is very precise, right? Yeah. If you put too much in or you put the wrong, in the wrong order, that cake or that pie is not going to do what it's supposed to do. It's literally been designed to have each ingredient in the exact amount introduced in the right way at the exact order. And mm. that's what you want to think about for your business. You want to really get it down to a recipe so that you can follow it and you can teach it. Mm, and you can repeat it. Yeah. Right. Right. So, uh, 
because um, I think everybody who is listening to this would love to hear like what have been um, the biggest lessons you have learned on sales. So uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's talk you. about sales. So that's deli- now we're gonna make you a happy lady. <laughs> okay, so the number one thing I will tell you about sales that you need to learn in order to be successful at sales is to understand that every single story that you have in your head is literally exactly there in your head. Hmm. It's between your ears. If you, and to understand that you have money stories You have money stories from your upbringing, from your environment, from what you've read, what you've been, what you've watched on TV. You have money stories. And the reality is, is that in order to be a successful, really super successful salesperson, you must accept that the money stories that you have in your head are exactly that. They are a story that's in your head. They are not universal truths. Okay. So, so often you, for an, for an example, so often, if you might be raised with a money story of, um, don't overspend it's, um, it's maybe a money story is that it's, uh, egotistical or it's, um, it's unpolite, um, or it's brash to spend a lot of money on things and to show off your money. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So if you're raised with a money story like that, and 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 by the way, you're if you're if it's your parents that you learn that money story, their intentions were good. Their intentions were to make you not a show off, right? Like mm. the intention is good. But what is the process that that what happened in your brain when your mother or father was simply trying to teach you to respect the things that they gave you and not to show off with your friends that you had a new toy, right? But now as an adult, maybe you have this money story that says, oh, it's show-offy to buy ostentatious things, it's show-offy to do this, but now you're expected to sell something and so you've put it in your head, well, why would somebody buy this because it's not really necessary or that, you know, it's over the top, it's this, it's that, and the other thing. And the fact of the matter is, is that lives there, lives right in between your ears. And from something as and simple and, and not very earth shattering as example as that one to deeper mindset issues is are the things that block us as salespeople from reaching our potential. And um, what what I always say, because I teach sales, I teach a course, Sales for Creatives, actually. And what I, the first Why month, for creatives? Um, just, <laughs> you know what it is? It's truly, it's sales for anybody. It really okay. is. It's just that my niche where I am in interior design is it attracts mm-hmm. more creatives. But honest to God, anybody, anybody listening, sales is sales. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, yes, God. anybody would benefit if they struggle with being a successful salesperson would benefit from the course for sure. Um, but it's a live course and I teach it by Zoom over eight weeks. And the first first module is about this mindset. And the thing is what I what I explain in this first module is we have a conversation right at the beginning and I ask them think about, could you, if I, if I said, could you tell me one money, say it one money mindset 
that you have in your head. If I do anything, what it mm. did you you grow up your father telling you, you know, turn off the lights. What do you think? We're made of money. You think you got a money tree in the backyard or, you know, your, your mother's her reward every time you did something was to take you to the mall and buy you something beautiful. So there's positives and negatives, right? There's it's not just negative mindsets. There's sure. positive ones too, right? So I usually ask everybody, could you think of one money mindset that you have? And everybody, yes. And then I say, think of somebody close to you, uh, you know, a husband, a wife, somebody not raised in your family, but it can be. Can you think of one money mindset that they have? And they always say yes. And I said, is yours absolutely true for the whole world? Is theirs? Can you see how it literally is just yours? And once you get that, then it's like, okay, how about if I just take a moment and pretend that I don't have that money mindset anymore Hmm. and erase it? And what now can I do as a salesperson that will attract and accomplish the goals and the dreams that I have Hmm. because I can leave behind the limiting belief that I've been telling myself? Yeah, I, I, I really love it because um, I always like to say that um, a lot of people are like status signaling a lot in our society. They're saying something along the lines, oh, the rich are bad on the rich. They do this and that. But the problem is when you have this mindset, um, you will never attract somebody who is rich into your life. Um, they, they will sense your terrible mindset around money, wealth creation and so on and so forth. And um, if you have those beliefs in your head, then, um, yeah, you will forever be stuck with your broke friends. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, (laughs) that's funny. That's funny. That's funny. (laughs) So true. So, yeah. So, so unpack that a little bit for us, because I think it's such an important lesson. I think um, everybody is focused on, like, say it's techniques and say it's tricks and hacks. And I I also want to get into those. But um, I think um, selling is easy if you are sold. So, uh, yeah. Could you please speak? Yeah. To the- so the thing is, this I, for me, the second um, biggest thing about being a successful salesperson is understanding that if you are going for a win-win, mm-hmm. then you are in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, think. So many people are whether you want to use the word shy or reticent or uncomfortable or not confident to go after. A situation, whether you're trying to um, approach a new vendor or a collaboration, or you're actually trying to sell a prospect, whatever it is. I mean, we sell all day long. We sell to our kids when we want them to eat broccoli. (laughs) I mean, right? I mean, like, be serious. Uh, You know, it's you know, we don't have to be talking about grand sales of you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. We are selling every single day, and the reality is, is that. When you put yourself in the mindset of I'm not doing the car salesman thing to you, I if you truly find what is the beneficial part of what you offer to someone else, mm. now you want them to have it. You want them, you want to share it with them. So, and that's what switches the flip, that switch the, flips the switch <laughs> on 
those car salesman type technique things, okay? Mm. Because if I truly believe that the product that I have, the service that I offer um, is going to solve a pain point for you, make your life better, help you do something in your life that you want to do, then am I selling that to you or am I sharing mm. that with you? Might making it so you can have it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think um I don't quite understand it, but um in our society sales is like this dirty thing, but um I always like to say there's nothing more that people um rather love to do than uh, buy something. So for instance, <laughs> if somebody bought their first house they're feeling fantastic. If somebody is buying their uh, ticket to s some vacation, they're also feeling fantastic. If somebody is buying a great suit or uh, somebody is, uh, a girl is buying a great dress, they're also feeling great. So I think um, there's like nothing dirty about selling, but um, I think everybody hates this car salesman who is like always like, you have to buy today. <laughs> well, the thing is, in Eve, in every one of the examples that you use, I 100% agree. But the nuance in there is, mm. can the person afford that dress? Can the person mm -hmm, afford mm -hmm. that house, right? So now, I, oh. by the way, it's not your job to figure that out as a salesperson. These are not your children. You're not their mama. You know what I'm saying? But the point is, is it the right house for that person or are you just selling a house to them anyhow? Mm. Do you know what the needs of that person are? Is it the right dress for that person? So for instance, if I'm just interested in selling you a dress, you might come in and I might be the dress salesman, dress saleswoman, and you could say to me, I'm going to a black tie affair. Now, I'm a highly persuasive person, Hardy. And if I wanted to convince you that the most inappropriate dress was great for a black tie, it's pretty good chance I'm going to be able to do that. Okay? <laughs> but when I want for you to walk into that black tie affair, feeling like a million dollars, looking the best that you can possibly look, then that is the win-win of sales. I'm not just trying to sell you any dress in my shop. I'm trying to sell you the one that is the best for you. And the way I run window works is if I don't have the solution for you, I will tell you, I don't have the solution for you. We're not going to do a sale today. We're not going to transact today yeah, because not, I don't make a client for life if I sell you something that's not really going to serve you. Yeah, I, I really love your example because I think a lot of people are like always focused on the short, short term and how they can make money today instead, like you've said, um, trying to build those long term relationships that will pay dividends in the future because uh, then you might get referral business and yeah. um, they will come back and buy again and yeah. I have a, an example. There was a time several years ago when a um, prospective client called Window Works and I went out to meet them and I walk in and they had been living in their home for many years. They raised their children mm -hmm. in the home and their one daughter was now going to be married. I didn't know this at the point. So I'm talking to them and they're saying we want to do our window treatments in the dining room. And they didn't want to do the window treatments in the living room. They had window treatments. And the reality was after some discussion, 
the rooms had not been decorated in many years. And in order to do something in the dining room, I knew it was going to be that sort of, well, we put this one new thing in and now that looks old. And then we changed that. And now that mm-hmm. looks old. Right. And so I said to them, do you have any plans to actually redecorate anything else? Not only in the dining room, but the living room that was adjacent. It was an L-shaped living room and dining room. And they said no. And so now I'm saying to myself, well, in good conscience, you know, I'm going to put brand new window treatments in this dining room. And I know the first thing that's going to happen is the window treatments in the living room that look okay now are going to look old because they were probably 15 years old at that point. And so I said to them, why are you wanting to do the window treatments in the dining room and not take this as a whole project? Mm -hmm. And that's when they said to me, well, our daughter is getting married in a couple of months and we are going to have company here at the house over the weekend and we don't have the budget to do the whole two rooms over again. And more than that, we really think this is our our last kid in the house. In the next year to two years, we're going to sell the home. But we thought in the meantime, the dining room needed a lift and we thought we would do it with the window treatment. Mm -hmm. And Hardy, so what I did then was I looked around the room and I said to them, I said, I I want to share with you that I feel like the money that you will spend on custom window treatments for this dining room is not going to serve you. I feel like once I put brand new fabulous draperies here, the ones in the living room are going to look tired. And instead, the $2,000 that it might cost to do custom window treatments, would you mind if I shared some decorating advice that I think you could put that towards where you would succeed in feeling like the rooms were freshened up for the wedding. And they said, yes. And I said, okay, not one of the the, the tips that I shared is anything that I sell. You know what I mean? I just shared with them some tips and they just said to me and I said, so good luck with the wedding. I hope it goes good, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And that was that. And About a year and a half later, they called up and they asked to speak to me and make an appointment with me. And my admin said that when she made the appointment, they said, we'll never forget that she didn't sell us something just to sell us something, Mm, that she had our interest at heart. Right. So So now, then I went in and sold them $20,000 worth of window treatment. (laughs) (laughs) Because now they really needed them. And I was really just. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I really love the meaning behind your story because I think that people really, really, really appreciate it when somebody is honest and um, isn't looking, is looking out for their best interest instead of trying just to to sell them something. So that's That's right. What they need and if you can provide it, sell it to them all day long. But if you can't, don't pretend. Right. (laughs) So uh, let's get into those uh, sales techniques and ninja <laughs> tricks. So uh, <laughs> we have to cover that. People love to hear the, those sorts of things. So uh, please speak to that. So um, yeah, okay. what what are some some of your your best sales techniques? So uh, <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you what I firmly believe that the number one sales technique that you need to master is the ability to listen. It is the ability to listen to everything that your client is saying, because in every sentence and every conversation, they will share with you the pain points that they are experiencing. And it is in those pain points, if you are the right solution for them, that you will sell them. And so you must develop a um, very intentional 
way of asking questions that get to the heart of the products or services and the, the, the story that you are involved in in your industry. But so often people will ask us a question and as we start to answer it, they start to answer and talk over us because they think we know where we're going with the answer. And the reality is, is that what I find is that most people take two or three sentences to really get to the heart of what they're trying to express. So we, as human beings, will fill the space. So I ask you a question, oh, what type of custom window treatments are you interested in or something? And, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe this or that or the other thing. But if I stay quiet and I don't interrupt you, now maybe you'll start, you might have start with, oh, I want white draperies. I saw something in Pinterest, yada, yada. But if I stay quiet, you might go into, and you know, really the, the bottom line is, is that it's cold in here in the winter. And this has been something for three years that we have put up with. And this year we've decided we've got to, you know, do something about it. And so I'm going to register that thought because now when it comes time later, to present pricing to you, to present product to you, to do all of that. I'm going to remind you of what you told me. And I want you to know that this is a perfect solution for those cold winters. Maybe you only said it one tiny little sentence back when we first started talking 45 minutes ago or on the phone call when I was getting to know you. But I'm going to bring that back out again now because I let you speak long enough for you to share with me what is the driver that will make you purchase. And this will make the whole like selling process way, 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 way more easier, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. You know, te people will teach you and tell you what they need from you if you yeah. pay attention and listen to them. Yeah, I love it. So I was just thinking about, um, uh, I don't know if you know him, uh, David Metzer, he's an entrepreneur and he's uh, managing a marketing company with 20 billion in capital. And um, he said to me, Hadi, if you want to be interesting, be interested. Exactly. And I think it's great advice because um, people love to talk. So uh, <laughs> it's true. And but the thing is, you want to find in there the you know, you want to start to use the jargon, the hot buttons. Right. Yeah. That's what we're looking for. We're looking for the drivers. We're looking for the things that, you know, and really what it is, is you're looking for the pain points so that you can solve them. And then you want to remind them that these are your the solutions to your pain points. Bring mm -hmm. it back home to them. Right. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people aren't good listeners. They are always just trying to just jump in and just sell, 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 sell. And I think that if you are like really genuine, people can sense it and people can feel it. So, uh, yeah. Well, and I find too that people are often uncomfortable in the silence. And mm -hmm. so what will happen is if the if they ask someone a question and the person begins to answer it and they hesitate ever so slightly, they feel compelled to fill that space with something. And so now they start to fill in the sentence with what they thought the other person was going to say. Mm. And the truth <laughs> is, it's not always what they were going to say. And so as a salesperson, I think that the skills of 
truly being inquisitive and truly knowing the right questions to ask your potential clients mm. so that you get the right information, being an, a, an avid, intention-focused listener, and then being okay with silence. Because mm. when you hesitate, when they hesitate and you don't fill it, they'll talk some more. And now we start to get underneath the layers of what the other there's, there's, Powerful. there's right. There's primary drivers, but there's secondary third and fourth layer drivers. And when you can uncover all of those drivers and package that up, how could they not buy? It's the solution mm. for their needs, their specific needs. <laughs> so, uh, Luann, we also have to talk about objections and handling objections. So uh, I think that every person who is in sales is familiar with those sentences like, let me think about it. I have to talk to my wife. Uh, the price is too high and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah. So, um well, Please objections just truly mean that you have not made your connection. You have mm. not heard what their problem was. You have not provided the solution to the problem. You have not made it compelling to buy from you. And so when the objections start, you want to start to, you know, okay, just circle right back around and come back around and start over again. And, it, and the other thing is, is there's no problem to ask direct questions. You know, I, I, if somebody says, okay, you know, that's great. I want to think about it. Ask them directly. I, it's, I, my guess is I've probably left something unanswered for you. Would you share with me what it is? Like, mm. what are they going to do? Come at you with a machete? Like, you know, I, like, <laughs> you know, like just ask the question. <laughs> but so often a salesperson <laughs> will then get tied up in a knot and say, oh my God, you know, mm. they want to think about it. I can't believe it. I just spent 45 minutes going yeah. through. Just say, what, what is it that you need to think about still? You know, just share with me what it is. Not why do you need to think about it still, but what did, did I, what did I leave unanswered? And if somebody says, no, I have all the information I need. Okay. Can we review the information before we, we go just so that I'm sure that I did my job with you and then go back and review features and benefits and the way you support, because maybe on that second review, they'll be like, Oh, I didn't realize that was part of the service hmm. or, you know, so the point is, is that if there's an objection, you're not, your job isn't done. You have not finished your job. You have not really conveyed all of your value yeah, or you I have not found their point you know yeah. and back. i think i think the worst thing that you could do is um ignore their objections so i think a lot of people are also doing that so uh, right right right, yeah. right now you have to be prepared to have the hard conversation Mm. You know, you have to you have to be prepared to have the hard conversation, whether you're still in the, the selling process or you have already have your client and maybe something has gone haywire. You know, you you cannot put your head in the sand in any part of the process. And the, and the fact of the matter is, is if you handle it um, nonchalantly, you know, uh, just objectively from an interested standpoint or for um, a standpoint of wanting to share more information or give more, then it's not aggressive. Mm. You know, it's not like, what are you still thinking about? It's like, <laughs> just, okay, well, if you need to think about it, I respect that. But are there questions now remaining in your mind that I might be able to just shed some light on before we part and we reconnect again in a couple of days? Mm. What if somebody says, yeah, there was one more thing, you know, whatever. Yeah. 
So, uh, Luan, the last topic I want to talk about today is uh, closing and closing the deal because I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs, sales people, and what have you, they uh, they don't know how to close the deal. So, and they feel uncomfortable closing the deal. So, uh, yeah, what would you tell them? What is your best advice on on really closing the deal? So. Well, you know, it's just so basic. It really is. You have to be okay with asking for the money. It's as simple mm -hmm. as that. And um, the people reality, are uncomfortable with that, right? And 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 I understand that. But I would say that if you were going to take, if you're an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. and you are going to sit down and develop a marketing plan and spend either hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on attracting clients to you. And then you are going to take your time and you are going to have those in-person or virtual meetings with people in order to go through the whole process of taking the time to learn what their challenges and their pain points are, and then going through your whole process of devising a product, a service, or a plan, or an implementation that will satisfy that. And you do all of that, time and money, and you won't simply just say, can I have your business? Can we close this deal now? Can we move forward? You know what it, it to me is it's like running the New York City Marathon and like 10 steps before the finish line going, yeah, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's all right. I'll just turn right here. You know, and, and, it's, and the thing is, is again, when I we go back to the beginning of the conversation, if you really know and you believe in your heart that what you're offering is the answer to their solution, you're not asking for anything. Mm. You're you're sharing the solution. This is how you get the solution for me. You have to give me dollar bills for it. But when you do, I give <laughs> you the solution. <laughs> so uh, basically, people just have to ask. They just have to ask. Well, when we're at the beginning of our sales career, that is one of the big objections. You know, we're not talking about seasoned professionals here. To, to, yeah. You know, we're talking about at that beginning. It's just really really honing in on the fact that if you are coming from the standpoint of a solution for another human being, whether it's a business solution or not, and has value to them, it's okay to sell it to them. It's not a dirty work. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Luann, at the end, I always ask every guest of mine five very quick and short questions. But um, before I ask those five questions, What will be your best advice on entrepreneurship, scaling, sales? So, uh, yeah, just just speak to that. So, um, anything would, we haven't uh, we haven't talked about? Or, yeah. Well, I would say that look, we talked about some of the practical advice for some yeah. of those topics, right? But I would say that. What I like to do is, you know, every a successful business has a business plan, right? You sit down and you strategize with what you want for the next month, the next quarter, the next year, the next three, five years, right? I would say, take it a step further. What was has always been very powerful to me is I thought about, this is like a little crazy, but I thought about what would it be like one day at my funeral if we had been doing work in our community of Livingston and its surrounding area of 20 mile radius for 40 or 50 or 60 years. What would I want people to say about me and the business that I've built with my husband and our cousin? 
And what happens is, think about that. Well, you know what you want people to say. You want mm. people to say a pillar of the community and everybody loved her and she was awesome and she was the best lady for window treatments and I could always count on her and, you know, like all of that stuff. But the reality is, is how do you get it so that you have that reputation at the end of your business life? Mm. You know how you get it is you live it from the first day you open. You actually truly treat every single client that you work with, every vendor that you work with, every team member that you work with, with the objective of, I want to serve this person the best, even if so crazy pants in the back of my head, when I die, they say something nice about me, right? <laughs> so, so that's like the weird thing. But the point is, is that what I'm saying, I'm being flip about it. But what I'm saying is, is that Plan the reputation that you want yourself and your business to have and run your business to earn that reputation. Mm. It's a it's a, an amazing, powerful guiding principle. You know, I don't find myself getting into squabbles with my clients. I don't find myself fighting my clients. I find myself saying, I can do that for you. I'll, I will remake that for you. I will go the extra mile for you. And we have built our team and our company culture on that. The three of us partners, we believe in that 100%. Oh, it's so, um, could you please tell everybody where can they find you on the social webs? Uh, yeah, listen to your podcast, buy your courses and so on and so forth. Sure, sure, sure. So um, the podcast is called A Well-Designed Business. And I will tell you that we talk to interior designers, but you can substitute bricklayer, bakery maker, candlestick maker, business is business. Um, LuannNigara.com. So it's L U A N N N I G A R A.com is really the hub for everything. Mm. So you can find links to my books there. You find my books on Amazon. You can find links to the courses there. You can find links to the events that I do. I do speaking engagements. Um, all of it lives at luannnigara.com. Got it. So uh, the first out of the five question is, what are the three books that had the greatest influence on your life? Hmm. So number one is always Og Mandino, the greatest salesman of the world. Mm. Okay. So it's a parable. Um, it's a quick read. It's very, very tiny little book. It, my aunt, uh, honey introduced it to me when I was 10 years old and it's, it's just a really awesome book. Um, it really teaches the tenants, the basic principles of really shifting that mindset so that you can be your best self. And, you know, it says the greatest salesman in the world, but like I said to you earlier, you're selling to your children when you want them to go to bed at 10 o'clock, you're selling to your employees when you want them to, to achieve the best that they can. So it's, it's really, I will persist until I succeed. It's all of that. Um, the other book I really love is the e-myth by Michael Gerber. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an awesome book for an entrepreneur so that you don't get stuck in the weeds and not identify your role. You must identify, are you the manager? Are you the technician? Are you the entrepreneur? And if you are the skill set of one and not the others, you don't get a pass. You know, you, if you don't have two other partners, that's okay, but then you need to hire businesses and consultants and coaches to guide you in the areas that you are not as skilled and successful at, right? 
And then third book is, you know, I just go back to the greats, you know, how, you know, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence mm. people. And, and actually, you know, Napoleon Hill, think and grow yeah. rich. You know, these are, they're classics for a reason. I, I, you know, I know more contemporary books are traction, but you know, these are the other three are my mainstays like over and over again, we'll read them and listen to them now on audio audible and so forth. Got it. So uh, the second question is, um, what are the three movies that you have enjoyed the most? Oh, my goodness. The three movies I've enjoyed the most. Um, well, I have to say, I really, Rocky was a huge influence <laughs> on my life. <laughs> so Rocky came out, Rocky One came out when I was in high school, and I lived right across the river from Philly, and I'm a runner. And so um, just that whole, you know, running up the museum steps and just feeling like, you know what, if you just put your mind to something, you can do it. You, like you really can, you can just do it. And so, you know, I love that movie. <laughs> um, but, you know, I love other movies. You know, it's funny because I recently watched on an airplane book club movie with Diane Keaton and um, Candace Bergen and um, Jane Fonda and Mary Steenburgen. And I like that movie because, you know, I'm at a different stage in my life now. And I'm not quite as old as these women are, but I'm closer to their age than you know I used to be and just understanding that you know here I am I launched this podcast three and a half years ago I'm, I'm going to be 57 years old in a minute and a half and to just start this whole new thing and so that movie was not necessarily launching new businesses for anybody who has read <laughs> the movie. but it's just that you know old is just a, a word It's just a word. So, so those are two of, two of my favorites. A third one? Oh, a third one. Oh my goodness. Um, well then I just go to silly movies that I see. I don't watch a lot of movies anymore, but I did with, when my kids and they used to watch, you know, dirty dancing and father <laughs> the bride over and over again. And I just, uh, you know, I recently watched Moana with my niece and I just thought that was such a good movie too. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. But Moana was also that same sort of rocky theme, right? You know, yeah. like you can do it. Those are the things. So, and even this book club, they can do it. They can have a life just because they're in their 70s. <laughs> <laughs> Inspirational movie. So, that's uh, it. Yeah. That's it. so um, the third question is um, what is the most useful product or service that you have bought in recent memory? Hmm. Um, product or service in recent memory. I guess it's just a different technology. I mean, honestly, when I think about that, I get very practical. So it's whether it's Hootsuite or Asana or Acuity, you know, just things that just make it easier to be duplicatable, mm. I would have to say. Got it. Yeah. The fourth question is, um, what are the most important realizations you've had in the last couple of years and we had some guests who shared something deeply personal about their business family life time relationships travel so uh speak to anything you feel comfortable sharing with our audience today well i would say that it probably is along the lines of what i was just saying about the movie is that in the business owners that i coach Very often I will meet business owners that are in their 30s and maybe they've got two or three 
little children in the house and they have a passion and a talent for their skill set and for their business that they have opened. But it can sometimes be at odds at that stage of life when you are knee deep into raising littles, okay? And it's, I have this great awareness now that you can have this burning passion in you. You can have this idea that you would be really good at something and you might have to push it aside because, you know, in my mind, the most important thing, if you have a child, that's your most important job. Like your Mm. job is not to put, you know, less than people onto the planet. If you're going to have a kid, then put, put a good kid out into the world and do what you can to look in the mirror and know that you did good by them. And, but the thing is, it's a struggle sometimes because, you know, you're a person and you have a, have a dream and you have a goal and you have this little thing inside you that says, I can be this, but maybe you are working an actual job. That's not your passion or it is, but you can't build it to the level that you can see it because of the obligations of your family and, and might be your obligations of, of older parents. Right. But my point is my big aha was that I always knew I wanted to do this. I wanted to help other business owners see their potential. I wanted to work with them and I wanted to inspire them and I wanted to speak to them about it, but I really couldn't travel three, four five times a month when I had children in the house. And the aha is, yeah, they're all grown up now and I'm still here and I still have my ideas and I still have this passion and it, it's not too late. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, let's go do it. <laughs> Love it. When you're 30 or 35 and you think, you know, you're not going to be able to do it. You think, well, by the time they're grown up, it's going to be too late, but that's the aha. It's not too late. Mm. So, uh, the last question for the day is Luann, um, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Mm. I would tell my 20-year-old self that every single thing you are doing every single day is all going to be part of what you're going to create someday in your 50s. Every conversation, every lesson, every interaction is going to inform the way you ultimately serve people in your 50s and 60s and 70s. And that's, that's really cool to, that would have been cool to know that then, but I see it now looking back. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I love your energy. I think your advice was great. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. I enjoyed our conversation so much, Hardy. (laughs) Talk soon. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please rate, review and subscribe. Also, make sure to share the podcast and tell your friends about it. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I'll see you in the next episode. Over and out.